Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name's Dan Morrison. That's Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm doing so much better than yesterday, Dan. That's good because you weren't, you know, <laughs> in a way yesterday. <laughs> I, so, Rude. Okay. We normally do like a little bit of banter at this point, like just mm-hmm. to get into it. But I think we'll skip that because we've got a guest on today, which is yeah. exciting. You know, uh, we've got Corey Dublin, uh, Tulane offensive lineman on today. Uh, so we're excited to have that. Uh, yeah. Welcome, Corey. How are you doing? Exactly. I'm doing great. Thank you all for having me on. It's exciting. Of course. Absolutely. Have you done many podcasts, Corey? Uh, no, I think it's actually the first one, to be honest. Oh, my God. I Yeah, the first one's always a little bit weird. <laughs> I, Not, no, I never make it weird. Um, I've had so many firsts on my other podcasts. Like it's, I love it. It's people are always right. like, oh, it's so much easier than I thought. It's like, yeah, it is. No, it's just a conversation at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And we're here to get you to talk a little bit about Tulane this year. And yeah. I think Emily, did you want to talk about the draft a little bit? Because Corey's probably going to the NFL. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that towards the end. Let's start out with, you know, this season. It's been unique, you know, starting from the beginning with the hurricane and you guys having to be displaced and all of this adversity around the program. And then you guys get this big win last weekend, which was huge for everybody to see you guys be dominant. What has this year been like compared to all of your other years? It's definitely been the most adverse year, I would say, probably even more than COVID because unlike everybody else, we had to pack up. We moved and lived in a hotel for a month, which is really strange, you know, but it was a good time though. I feel like the whole team got to get closer and that, but no, it's just definitely been a strange year, but it was good that we got a big win last week and hopefully we can carry that over this week too. That was one of Dan's favorite games last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people know I'm a UCF guy. So anytime USF loses, it's always nice, nice to see, you know, you got a defense coordinator. They're going to make USF fans hate us now again, too. Great. They hate hate me anyways. It's fine. Uh, No, you guys have been dealing, not, I shouldn't say dealing. That's maybe not the right uh, verb to use there, but you've had a new offense coordinator and chip along from Will Mm -hmm. Hall. And that's obviously brings a new system changes to how you do things. Generally speaking, has that, How's that transition been for you guys? Uh, it's, been, it's been a good transition. Uh, Coach Hall and Coach Long are very close to each other, so they kind of have a similar offense. So it was a pretty seamless transition, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, like, Go ahead. I'm going to ask gonna about say, Pratt. I was going to say, okay, how no. do you feel? I got to ask a Pratt question. How okay, do you feel? It. You know, you've been working with Pratt since last year, and, and he showed all this potential. He's young, and he was very hungry. This year's been a little more difficult for him, but he's still this incredible quarterback, and we're excited to see his growth. What do you think the biggest difference has been from an alignment perspective from last year to this year? No, I definitely feel like he's grown pretty much all aspects of his game. He's a very hard worker, and he, he's really gotten close to the whole line. He takes us out to dinner. We do stuff all the time with him. You know? We really build a kind of like a family bond. 
Oh, that's cute. What what kind of dinner? Like a steak dinner? Usually we do steak dinner all, all kinds, especially when we're in Birmingham. We go we go to a different place every week. You saw this last weekend, you know, I was in Coastal with Joey Chestnut. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think you could, as an, I mean, there was an offensive lineman in that group of guys. Yeah. He was in the center. He got a lot of hate because he finished the least amount of pizza. Was that frustrating for you as an offensive lineman being not represented well there? And do you think you could have eaten better? I don't know. I've done a few <laughs> food eating challenges. Really? Your eyes, your eyes get big, but then it's like, I feel like I can eat a lot of food over, over a period of time, but being rushed, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to eat rushed. Right. If I See, one hour or something, I could eat, eat forever. That's the two minute thing is I think what killed everybody because it is very hard to chew that. I mean, there's a reason he's called Jaws because his jaws are insane. Um, but I, I just felt like the offensive line was not well represented there. And yeah, you have to find the right pace on the food. If you yeah. that, after playing a game too, it's kind of hard to do that, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're all still in their shoulder pads. Yes. And they definitely were very close to what we call in competitive eating reversing um, multiple times. There was some. There was some a little bit reversing going on, but I felt I was impressed with them. But I just thought offensive linemen are always big eaters. So yeah, I don't know. Do you have a food that you think you could beat Joey Chestnut in, or which food would you have the best <laughs> shot at? Just like doing oysters back and forth, just nailing them down, or <laughs> maybe he's a beast. He seems pretty hard to beat. Yeah, yeah, there's very few foods that you could probably beat him up. But I feel like something native to your New Orleans, maybe you could do better than him. Do you have like a what's your like go to Nolens dish? I'd say a fr- uh, fried shrimp for a boy, but you know he'd probably eat that Ooh. pretty fast. Yeah. I feel like that's a tough one to eat super fast because it falls yeah. apart on you. But yeah. It gets messy. It gets messy. That's for, that's for sure. Um, So you guys have this big win and you're heading into, you know, the last week of the season, you're going to play Memphis. And we talked a little bit about this Uh, Liberty bowl being one of the harder places to play in college football. How are you guys preparing this week to, you know, ride off of last week's win and keep that going um, at the Liberty bowl? Just trying to keep it going. You know, we saw we had good last week. We saw we did right and wrong, you know, still making corrections, just trying to bring that over. We know it's probably going to be a little bit of colder game, which is probably good for us. Yeah, you said it was like 62 degrees in New Orleans. What? Yes. I mean, pretty weather, six, though. 62 is not bad. It's not. No, it's <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's, good, that's really good football weather. <laughs> That's good weather to be working out outside. In. Okay, would you rather play in the extreme heat? At, remember Oklahoma? That was insane. That was mm-hmm. like so humid and hot. Would you rather play in that or would you rather play in like freezing cold snow and rain? No, I'd rather play in the heat than freezing. In the heat? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it hurts more, right, when you hit in the cold? Your fingers and stuff, it's hard to bend. Yeah, them. it's just hard to get loose and everything. And yeah. It's tough. No. Uh, when you go up to Memphis next week, though, do you think about – you could play spoiler to them. Is that a motivation to you? Because they're five and six. If you beat them, they don't go to a bowl game. Is that matter? Or is it just more internally focused, your preparation? No, it's just, it's another game, you know, so just trying to get the wins, the goal of the game. Yeah. It's a little bittersweet, your your last game in this. I wish it was baby blue. I don't know what you'll be wearing, but it's all baby yeah. blue to me. <laughs> it is. No, it's my, it's my 61st start is going to be. Yeah, it's crazy. You have isn't that there was some I read something about some sort of I don't know record or something that you you have the most starts. I read in some article. Yeah, Tulane last week was my 60th start, and that's the most in in Tulane history from any one player. Probably will never be broken. That's incredible, Dan. It is no like 
Is that something you think about a lot, like what your legacy at Tulane is going to be? Because you were on some of the better Tulane teams in recent memory, too. You know, the run of three straight bowl games that Tulane's had is kind of unprecedented for the program in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I never really sit back and think about it, but, you know, I'm sure I will in the, in the future years when I'm going. That's exciting. And then, you know, after this game, it's the, everything in the kitchen sink for you heading heading off and, and getting ready to prepare for the NFL. Is is there something that you're working on? This is what I always ask draft prospects is, you know, you complete all your college and the NFL is a different game. Is there something that you're going to be working on specifically in your game um, as you head into these times where you're going to be moving towards the NFL? Really just all, all the testing numbers. I like guess the biggest thing right now. I'm going to start okay. working on those because, you know, usually college athletes, they don't work on those kind of numbers. But when you do test that for the NFL, you got to really focus on those. That's awesome. <laughs> what are you I, – I didn't know what's your major. What do you – what's your uh, – I got my undergrad degree in finance, and I just finished my MBA in strategic management and uh, commercial real estate. Oh my goodness. So we, yeah. we need more guys like this that yeah. are going to be in the league, that are going to be smart – with their money and with their choices and their decisions. I like it. No, I'm just sitting here going over. My English degree doesn't quite <laughs> gel with that. It's fine though. Nope. If you need some help with Brit Lit, I got you, but <laughs> exactly. I don't even know what MBA stands for. I'm just, I do, but for show. No. When you think about the NFL, do you think about, I've got to focus on getting great at one offensive line position or do you want to bring more versatility to it? No. Because, you know, they have limited roster sizes, you know? Yeah, no, I, de I definitely feel like versatility, especially from all my friends I talk to, but they're like, you know, play multiple positions is the way to go unless you're like an, an All-American or stud, you know, you got to be able to play multiple positions. Good. You heard what, it here. He can play them all. What's the hardest position on the offensive line? Ooh. Ooh, I don't – I really wouldn't say any of them are. They're all pretty much the same, you know? I, but my, I'd say my favorite probably be center, you know, just being able to touch the ball every play. See, I've always thought of that as the hardest because, you know, you got to put your head down, snap the ball with a guy on top of you. And, you know, a lot of times centers are calling out protections and stuff like that. So I always thought that was the hardest, but, you know, yeah. I mean, I didn't it also sounds school, like the most so fun. Yeah, no. <laughs> it sounds like the most rewarding because like you, you get to touch the ball every play as the other ones are just hitting guys all the time. You don't always, <laughs> ever see the ball ever. So that I could see that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Corey, for joining us. Um, we, you've been our first player. I don't know why I haven't done this before, but you're our first player on the podcast this season. So, yay. That's exciting. Yeah, Absolutely. it is exciting. We're no, excited to see. Yeah, of course. Thank you all very much for having me on. It's been a blast. For sure. We will look Thanks forward for coming to on. We'll look forward to seeing you at Memphis this weekend. Good luck to the Green Wave. And yep. you guys know I'll be picking them. So, let's yeah, roll just wave. Be real. Roll wave. <laughs> All right, you want to pause it there? Yeah. Two. That was Tulane offensive lineman Corey Dublin joining us for the first time with a player on the podcast. And I think it went well, right, Dan? I think so. He seems like yeah. a great guy. That was my first time meeting him. You know him a little bit better than I do. I know. Do, <laughs> I'm trying to like not be as formal as we're chatting. I'm not be as informal because he and I have been friends for a little while, but um, he's such a good kid. Oh yeah, he seems like a great guy. Like yeah, and NFL's gonna get a to. steal with him. Like they're gonna pick up a really good guy, whoever gets him. So I'm excited to to watch his future. Didn't want to talk a whole ton about like most people. No one likes to to compare teams in yeah. your own conference. Let's try not to like yeah ride into like 
like I told him before we got on and started recording with it, like I wasn't going to try to ask him like, who's like, which school do you like the most that isn't Tulane? It's yeah, just a it's, weird, you know. It is. And some of them don't want to focus on that and that's fine. But I really did want to, I wanted to push harder on that Pratt question. Cause if anybody knows what's going on oh, yeah, with but, the Tulane offense, it's them. And I doubt he's going to say anything while he's still there. So maybe we could circle back at some point with, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be talking to him for that article you're writing pretty mm-hmm. soon anyway. So you'll get a little bit more insight there. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we do, though, have some games to preview. The last week of the regular season, week 13, nothing ominous yes. about that. A uh, couple Friday games, a few Saturday games. I think it's going to be, I, I always, I think it's going to be a good slate again. That's exciting. You know, it's rivalry week. Yes. Well, is it? Not, well, is it? it is rivalry. The AFC <laughs> doesn't have a ton of like deep rivalries yeah. like that that yeah. get lined up. Uh, but I mean, I've got a rivalry this week, so not no, yes. The what is it called? The, <laughs> the War on I four. Yes, War on I four. Right. It's actually the first game we're going to talk about, just in order of when they're played. And okay, let's this, do it. If you don't know, I get my order for the games from FBS schedules. Uh, the War on I four is currently tied each in terms of series history. It's e- exactly five. Oh, wow. No wonder if this game takes the lead. U- UCF in the past few years has come back. Uh, from there, it was like six to USF at one point because, you know, they just jumped on UCF at the start of the series. So this is a big game in terms of that. This is going to be the last war and I four game at the bounce house for frankly, for the foreseeable future because UCF is leaving for the big 12 and they don't have any games scheduled yet. Once UCF's out. Uh, so this is a huge game from a couple of different perspectives like that. Uh, do not expect Dylan Gabriel to play. Yes, he's been practicing. He was dealing with an illness this week. Gus Malzahn made oh, it no. seem unlikely he'd be playing. What on. else can happen to UCF this year? Don't even I mean, ask. the plague? Like, ask. is there going to yeah. be like earthquakes? Don't, don't even ask. I don't want to know what else could happen. But like, it's, <laughs> Crazy. Uh, you know, it's flu season. It was yeah. very vague what the illness is. We live in COVID times still, so everyone it assumes could it anything. could be that. Yeah. But it's his own medical information. It's his private thing. I'm not going to... Yeah, I just feel bad for the guy. Like he oh, exactly. Like, UCF, I feel like UCF dating back to... Um, who was the quarterback that got really hurt? I'm blanking on his Milton. name. Yes, Milton. Milton. Mackenzie yeah. Milton. Dating back to that injury, it just feels like they have well, just had some time. It's funny because Milton's replacement, uh, DJ Mack, who's at Old Dominion now, actually, for those who mm-hmm. keep up with such CUSA things, uh, he, he was going to be the starter going into the next season. And I forget exactly how he did it. It wasn't during practice, so he broke his ankle. And that's what oh, originally was going to be Brandon Wimbush, the Notre Dame transfer, but Oh, yeah. Gabriel ended up winning the job pretty early into the first game against stuff with AM. And that he's been the quarterback ever since. Yeah, I know. That's crazy because I remember thinking, like, yeah, that's gonna be the guy. Because he was I good. I thought he was gonna be the guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh it never it's worked. Wild. Yeah. So they've bounced around a little bit with that stuff. It's <laughs> expect Mikey Keene to play. Uh, yes. USF is out of defense coordinator for this game. Uh Glenn Spencer was not retained after uh Corey's two-lane green wave put up 45 on them in 28 in the first quarter. Michael Pratt, destroyer of defensive coordinators. Absolutely. Destroyer of coordinators Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how much that actually changes the play calling and defensive strategy. Probably not a ton if we're getting into it going to the last week of the year. I kind of am surprised they didn't wait a week to move on from him. You know what I mean? Just given how it is, it's not like Jeff Scott's on the hot seat or anything like that. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Like normally you move on from a coordinator because you've got an issue that needs to be rectified, which USF did, or the head coach is on the hot seat and he needs to make a change to prove a point like Scott Frost firing his entire offensive staff at Nebraska <laughs> or mm-hmm. Dan Mullen getting rid of uh, third and Grantham there before eventually getting fired himself because, you know, expectations are high uh, at yeah. Florida. Uh, yeah, as for the game itself, I don't think – USF's going to offer much defensive resistance. I think it's going to be much more about if USF can kind of turn it into a track meet of a game like they did last season, because last mm-hmm. year this game was a shootout, much closer than it should have been. And it was like a 50-something to 40-something final. You know what I mean? Yeah. So USF, has to, I think, has to try to turn it into that shootout. UCF has a couple missing pieces on defense through injuries and whatnot that you know they could yeah. try to exploit with their young talent, USF could, but... It's at the bounce house. I don't yeah. see the way that USF realistically keeps it within two or three scores. And I'm also going to say this. People still remember USF beating UCF by like 50 points, like more than 15, like 15-ish years ago now. And that yeah. was right before a hiatus in the series or the year before a hiatus in the series. And it was like, people hold on to that. People want, at least in UCF circles, we want revenge for that. And like, the past couple of years have been opportunities that UCF didn't win by enough for a lot of people's liking to get back for that. Yeah. Um, also, since the war on I-4 trophy has been announced and they've had a trophy for it, which it kind of looks like a giant street sign, UCF hasn't lost since it's been a trophy game. Just throwing that out there. That, it, I didn't... Who made the trophy for this one? UCF and USF together came. They, oh. Like four or five nice. years Four or five years ago, I think... Yeah, maybe not even that long ago. They basically just came together and decided we want a trophy for the game. And so it's like a street sign where one side has the UCF logo and one side is the USF logo. Okay, well, I like that. Unity. Yeah. I'll say this. This game should be straightforward, but we have found that sometimes games that should be straightforward in the AAC and college football in general this year uh, turn out to be less so. So... Yeah, I'm saying this. I think Jeff Scott should just go nuts in this game. Call every play outside of the like regular playbook that you have, practice all the weirdest scenarios, and just throw everything in the kitchen sink at Gus Malzahn and 100%. see what happens. You know, every stupid trick play he's ever dreamed up, he should run. Anything and everything and, and any talent that has been untapped by any personnel or player, tap into it. Do it mm-hmm. now. And then that, that'll be fun for everybody. I don't think that even gets them the W, but it makes it interesting. And then it's, we revive this rivalry to something that's like, it's fun this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm excited. I'm going to watch this one for sure. Absolutely. Not going to watch the other three, one. Three, okay. <laughs> three, uh, yeah. That's 3.30 on Friday. I believe also at 3.30. Uh, wait, we didn't make our picks really quickly. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I transitioned I, too quick. No, uh, it's okay. You, uh, I, Hmm. Obviously, you're UCF. going UCF. Yeah, yeah I'm come on. UCF. I'm going to be honest. It's not a tough one, uh, Emily. I'm going to go. I'm going to go UCF too. I want to go USF just to throw chaos in the mix, but I'm going to save my chaos for some okay. other games. Sure. Uh, this is another opportunity for chaos coming right up. Mm. It's your number four in the college football playoff <laughs> ranking as of number like one an in hour your before we recorded. <laughs> right. Bearcats at the East Carolina Pirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, major major upset potential in my opinion i don't yeah. know that it happens but ecu is a very good team ecu is like a 
you know, one bad drive essentially against South Carolina, who is better than people thought they were at the time, mind you. Uh, One kind of, they're very close to beating UCF at, you know, the bounce house. Uh, who was the other one that they lost to? That was very close. Uh, Houston. They took Houston mm-hmm. to overtime. Like I'm telling you, ECU is a couple bad breaks away from being 10 and one coming into this game. It's at ECU. It's a good environment, especially when they're good. I expect it to be a really fun atmosphere. Cincinnati has got the conference championship game against Houston to look ahead to mm-hmm. and get themselves a little bit tripped up on. You know, ECU's got experience. They've got a thousand yard rusher at running back. They've got a good secondary that Ritter's going to have to throw into. This is going to be a close game, and people, it's going to turn a lot of people's heads. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I'm only going to, yes, I think ECU has the potential to do some damage, especially given that it's at home. But I think what I've seen, and I've been hard on Cincinnati, mm-hmm. meaning that I don't know that they're, and I still don't, if you look at the way it falls right now, that they, even make a dent in the college football playoff game that they'd be in. But that being said, what they're doing is historic and I give them credit, all the credit in the world. And last weekend they did what they were supposed to do. So I think this game and the next game, they take a little more carefully with a little less swagger than they Mm -hmm. have had. If that makes sense. Like these weeks, 12 week, 13 games, these are not about showmanship and swagger. They're just about, literally getting the job done. So Let's, the yeah. I mean, if you, we want to look at the playoff perspective really quickly, mm-hmm. Alabama and Georgia still have to play. And I believe mm-hmm. Alabama is going to lose that game. I don't know. I believe because that's just yeah, you know, where maybe. we're at, but in two loss, Alabama's out. That would move them hypothetically up to third. Number five right now is Michigan. Uh, you know, they're going to lose to Ohio state. Cause that's just what they do. They are not going to lose to Ohio state. They're okay, not buddy getting his like masters at Ohio state. So, Oh, uh, I don't, I don't care about the outcome. I'm just telling you that this okay. is the year Michigan so wins it. It also doesn't matter who wins and who loses it. Cause one of them will then have two losses. It matters to Jim Harbaugh. So. It, I know it matters to Jim <laughs> Harbaugh. the only person it matters to. So <laughs> I understand. It matters to Jim and Harbaugh. Rem- remember that because it matters enough to him because it's his but, job and well, his life on the line. Anyway, well, anyways, like mm-hmm. it puts, basically you'll get either Michigan or Ohio mm-hmm. state probably winning the big 10 and going to the playoff. At that point, the other one will be out with two losses. That's mm-hmm. two teams, Georgia and say Ohio state. I'm going to use them because they're in the playoff picture right now. They're at number okay. two. That would move Cincinnati up to number three and it would move Notre Dame up to number four. Now you really can't put Cincinnati behind Notre Dame at any point because they, they beat them head to head and Notre right. Dame's not going to play a conference championship game. They're only going to play Stanford who, <laughs> sorry, Emily, it's not an impressive. So what if, right, it's not at all. And what if they don't win impressively in that game? I, then, they, I mean, then they fall. Then we talk about the big 12 champion. Yeah, who, which it could be a one-loss Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. a one-loss Baylor, or a one-loss Oklahoma, but it could very easily be a two-loss version of any of those. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess what I'm saying is I actually think Cincinnati's position in the playoff is pretty solid, and they may not even be stuck in the four seed where they'd have to play Georgia. They might get to play the Big Ten champion instead, which, you know, who knows which team that ends up being, but I think they're actually in a very good position going forward uh, to make the playoff. And, I, you know, say what you will. I'm not saying team. that they won't make the playoff. I wasn't saying that. What I'm saying is when they get there, I don't know that they're going to know what to do with it. 
is what yeah, I'm but saying. If you look historically at the playoff, most teams who get there don't know what to do with it. And that's fair. Notre but Dame's so, got so, blown out twice. Right. Washington uh, got blown out. Florida, yep. Oregon blew but this out. This has Florida bigger State, implications but... for them to not know what they're doing because they are now representing all of group of five. They are our one and only hope. And all of us out I there. That. I get that. And I think that's unfair to, and I'm Agreed. not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong, but no, like, I know. I think it's I unfair to put all that weight on Cincinnati. But that's shoulders. what it is. That's what people are doing. And then everyone's sure. going to use it yeah. if they get blown they out as an argument. I, and I understand that the same way they use it as an argument about, oh, Notre Dame shouldn't make the playoff any year going forward because mm-hmm. they got blown out against, you know, like the best Alabama team that's ever existed last year or right. a really good Clemson team in 18 that also blew out Bama by more points in the national championship game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the truth is that the one four matchups never close in the playoff. So it's not fair to say, oh, Cincinnati got blown up by Georgia, which we don't know will happen, though we can suspect it might happen. You know what I mean? It would happen. Because I suspect anyone who plays Georgia this year is going to get blown out by them. And I mean that all the way down to Ohio State and Alabama and Michigan and whatever other team you want to put in that spot. I want to see Georgia-Baylor. That would be a very interesting game. I guess it would. I mean, if if I'm getting to choose – just not like based on whatever, like um, everyone's going to get. Do you think wins the big 12? I mean, this is a, this is a whole know. other tangent, but. I, I don't know. I, so here's. I'm just saying that's the team I would want to see. Here's my big 12 concern mm-hmm. right now is I don't believe Oklahoma state can beat Oklahoma until they do it, even though mm-hmm. they should definitely beat Oklahoma this year, <laughs> but I don't believe they're <laughs> capable of doing it until they do it. You know? I, I agree with you hundred uh, percent, you know, and I kind of, I do think Baylor's the best team out of those three. Which is wild to me. And also it's like uh, Baylor football is like old school. How Georgia plays. Like they punch people in the mouth. They're physical. They win at the line of scrimmage. That's the kind of football I love to watch. It's how Mm -hmm. Michigan usually is. It's how Stanford usually is. It's like, you know, those are the teams. Yeah, it is when it's, when it's run correctly and it works right. It's, it's a hell it's maybe not fun for other people because you don't see as many points and you don't. It depends on what you like, you know? Yeah. I love smash them up. You're a, you're a fullback advocate. I we am. can, you know, I am. Absolutely. Anyways, uh, back, back to, to back, back to since ECU. Um, I go it's going to be, it's no, it's going to be an interesting game. I think you, you nailed, you nailed it. Like it's at home for ECU. They have a chance to ruin everything. I don't know that they're that kind of team. I don't know that Mike Houston really wants to, to rain on the parade or the party. Oh, you always want to rain on the parade of somebody. Yeah, Mike Houston Even if it's is bad so for nice. the conference, it could be bad for the conference as a whole. It could be bad for the group of five as a whole. You don't go in wanting to lose. You go in wanting to upset them and have that, your fans but... charge the field. Okay. Well, at the same might... time, at the same time, I do think Cincinnati wins this game because I think their secondary is too good. I think Colton yeah. Ehlers has trouble throwing into that secondary. I think yeah. he's going to become a little bit reliant on the running game to succeed offensively, which they're very capable of succeeding with it. But I think they're going to – I just think they're going to cause enough turnovers in this game and create enough havoc that, you know, since he's – you know, gets a, steals a few possessions. And I think, yes, it'll be closer than maybe yeah. people who don't pay attention to ECU or the American expect, but, you know. I think it's going to come down to how Desmond Ritter protects the football and what he does with it, because we have seen him be extremely careless on occasion, but lately he shored that up. So mm-hmm. will that trend continue or will he revert back to other old ways? 
And sure, and that's kind of the worst. ECU's got a very good secondary, and if we're yeah. not careful with it, you could yeah. you know, give away a problems. couple possessions and get into a little bit of a hole, especially if you're a little bit sleepwalking, thinking about Houston in the conference championship in a week. You know or I mean? the fact that you just made history as the number 14 in the yeah. college football playoff. Let's take off that too. hangover. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, like I said, I still think Cincinnati wins. How about you? All right. I'm going to take ECU. Ooh, going for it. She's trying to... I'm, you know, I'm going to do it here. Emily's 10 games behind me in the yeah. standings for our picks, and this is her trying to catch up. No, I... Yeah, a little, but also <laughs> I, there, I do think that there is a very good shot that they do something crazy in this game because they are that team, you know? Mm-hmm. So sure. Absolutely. We'll see. Uh, let's move Good over slate to our... on Friday. I'm excited. I think those are probably yeah. our two best games to watch though. Saturday's got two games. I could say you can probably, well, if we're talking viewership, like watch every game. Yay. AAC football. There's two <laughs> games that we're going to talk about first that are probably not all that interesting to the average fan. Unless Wait, before, before you do the Saturday slate, can I just say one thing? I it. was looking at the schedule, right? And, on ESPN and they say like, oh, tickets as low as whatever. And so I'm looking at the UCF tickets and it's like, oh, tickets as low as $44, which is like, all right, okay, yeah, that's respectable. ECUs are as low as 20, which I think you just chalk up to being in North Carolina, like where they are. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the UConn game, tickets as low as $8. That's expensive. I'll be honest. (laughs) Okay, but I happened to click over to Big 12 because we're talking about, you know, Baylor. I look at Texas, Kansas State, tickets as low as $4. Dollars. So when you kind of went Texas to Vandy, when you, when you kind of went to Vandy, tickets were as low as two dollars, but parking was forty, and that's how they get you. <laughs> I don't think though ever in our life have we seen Texas football tickets as low. And I'm not saying that's the actual price; that's probably just what it says on here. But oh, wow, a thousand fees. I'm sure. No, Texas is wow. They're a straight up disaster right now. Not like, think we'd see that this year. Well, this was okay. the year. So you was... know, you know a lot more about Steve Sarkeesian mm-hmm. just because of his Pac-12 roots than I do. But when they hired him, I was kind of like, and I don't, I want to say this, it was nothing to do with his alcoholism because that's uh-huh. a thing people deal with. And by of all accounts, he's dealt with it well, uh, or at least as well as you can in recent years. But as a head football coach, he was a very average coach at two different Pac-12 jobs. Why would you assume he can go into Texas and be different? Like, I know at Alabama with all their talent and Nick Saban as the actual head coach, he was winning and putting up big numbers. Yeah. But why would you assume that the guy who has a track record as a head coach would be so significantly different? Because I know it's, he, it's year one, so I don't want to write him no, off. No, no. Yeah. Like, but he but got the same stamp like, of approval. That's what he got. And everybody in Texas buys into that, just like everyone in the world. So and I'm not saying it's. So did a million coaches who haven't like succeeded when they left. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it still means something. Yeah. And I honestly think that coupled with how he did at Bama to redeem himself, gave him the shot. I knew it wasn't going to work out because I know him from covering him. It's not that he's a bad guy or a bad coach. He battles demons and he, that gets in the way of him succeeding as a coach, I think, but. It's also a super high pressure job. If you, oh yeah, you know I mean like yeah. I, I thought he should have gone more the Lane Kiffin route, where mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin went to FAU and like yeah, proved it at a little bit it. of a lower level. Yeah. Jumping into Texas is tough. Yeah, I like, was very scared from like that. North, that was... Like if he took like a job like North Texas first, that would make a lot more sense to mm-hmm. me. But he could know. go bigger than that. But yeah, I mean, I think... well, that's a conference USA job. That was my. I just sort of said them because okay. in Texas. You know what I mean? And you jump over. I was afraid for him that this would trigger demons and my constant prayer is that it doesn't, you know, because it's, it's not an easy battle and it's a lifelong battle. It's not something that you're just cured of. So, and like it's a super stressful job. 
you know, one of the worst stretches in Texas football. It's one of the worst stretches in Texas football history Mm -hmm. that he's in right now, too. You know, the first ever time Texas lost to Kansas at home, like the longest streak of losses (laughs) since the 1950s. Like these are things that are going on to him, right? Uh, that monkey stripper situation. Yeah, that, they had that on was super. Because you look at that. That coach was at Alabama, okay? And Jeff Banks never had anything like that his come enti- out at Alabama. His so, entire staff is like a very well-regarded staff. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So how does that? And I'm telling you, it's like a, it's like a Sarkeesian jinx. It's I don't tough. think he was meant to I, you know be out on his own. I think he needs to be under the direction of but, like an older, wiser person. But also if you look at Texas, other than uh, like five years under Mac Brown there, mm. since like Daryl Royal, when have they really been quote unquote, the way you think of as Texas? Like maybe yeah, it's not the yeah. person who's coaching them. Maybe it's the place that's wrong. I think it's the, yeah, for sure. It's I think there's a like, really bad culture to have yeah. to be a coach in. But uh, that's a super huge tangent uh, about Texas football. <laughs> and anyways, that's what we're best at over here. So let's, Texas, what's yeah. The, yeah what, speaking what's of the Texas football, <laughs> Houston at UConn. The oh, only, this is the one I don't want to talk about. Well, I mean, it's because there's nothing to talk about. As yes. long as Houston doesn't completely like forget themselves or get too cold mm-hmm. somehow, they should win it by 50. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, getting too cold is apparently a thing, according to Corey Devlin. So no, it, it's true. Like he mentioned, like staying loose. Like if you're not from an area where it gets like cold in the wintertime, like it really makes it hard to bend your fingers and like you like your blood flow slows down. It's like a way of keeping your body warm in the center of your body. So your yeah. extremities get cold and it, it's not comfortable to be in. And if you're not used to it, it's extremely uncomfortable to be in. It leads to receivers dropping passes, linemen kind of missing blocks because they're not used to the way their hands feel quite exact. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those things, that's why like cold weather is such a huge advantage in the NFL playoffs. My, you know, teams who play in domes, like I'm going way back, but like, mm. and when I say way back, like, 15, 20 years, but like uh, when the Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning used to have to go to New England in the postseason to play Tom Brady, even though the Colts on paper were usually the better team, they always lost that game because they weren't used. They were in the AFC South going playing Southern teams and they had a dome for their own game. So they just weren't used to playing in that cold the way that the Patriots were. And it really does affect you. Uh, well, I'll say this. The opposite route is Herm Edwards at ASU, who will not, and I don't know if this is still true, but when he first got there, he would not let the team practice in the bubble because they don't play in a bubble. That was his reasoning. He's like, you're not going to escape the heat in here during practice if you can't escape the heat yeah. on the field. So, And that's absolutely its own thing where like mm-hmm. it, when you play in a super hot environment, you're going to cramp up. There's other issues you face in that environment. Yeah, it's different issues, but you still have issues, you know? Yeah, but, you know, but Houston's used to the heat issues. They're not used to the cold issues is my no no i was just no i know and i was just saying like that those are two different coaching like you can try and avoid it by having people practice indoors or you can just thrust them in the fire and see what they're made of absolutely and to your point though the patriots when they play at the miami dolphins Mm -hmm. often struggle because i think because of the humidity and heat Mm -hmm. oftentimes they're just not people struggle at ucf i I talked to many stanford players who hate playing there because of that oh yeah they had the one game there a couple years ago it was a whiteout it was like packed the stadium yeah and it was in september so it was probably about a thousand degrees on the surface of the field i was there tiger woods was on the sideline and i interviewed him about college football it was incredible well that's awesome but yeah no like (laughs) i i love the bounce house it's a super fun atmosphere. 
it is a metal box at the yeah. end of the day and it yes. holds that central yes. florida heat and you're in central florida you're not on the coastline so there is no sea breeze there's coming no breeze in. there's nothing there's just it's bugs just the sun. it's gross it's just yeah. the sun that's all you feel it's heavy so yeah heavy i don't think houston, i don't think houston i mean even if they do struggle with the cold i don't think this is a game even worthy no. of like breaking no. down i think they're gonna be fine no, like, gonna what be am i gonna do? tell you that houston's better at every position including head coach <laughs> like up and uh, like at every assistant coaching spot they're better they're just better uh yeah. all right well i'm gonna go houston then yeah i think i'm gonna have to go with houston as well uh sorry you next game i think it's a little bit more interesting it's also not a game i think you necessarily are gonna see a lot of people tuning into it's navy at temple mm. uh I think it's interesting from the point of view that Navy could really use this win to momentum themselves into the uh, Army Navy game. They yeah. can really, you know, just like feel a little bit better about a season where they played better than their record is. But at the end of the day, you also are who your record says you are. Mm. And their record says they're not that good this year. But you know what I mean? So this mm-hmm. would be a huge confidence boost, a huge just feel good about yourself boost for the Navy players. On the other side, it feels like Temple is just trying to get through the year and we talked a little bit uh, on our last show about some cultural issues that are being rumored at Temple to exist. I think that's the best way is to say they're rumored to exist. People have spoken that they've got issues with certain coaches, including like the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, a lot of players are transferring out, including your starting quarterback, which doesn't happen. Starting quarterbacks don't <laughs> no. transfer unless there's an issue. Yeah. And like, I'd say like, if you're the quarterback at like, say North Dakota state and you want to try your hand at FBS football, maybe you transfer for like a grad transfer year. But like, if you're the starter, like for sure starter, you don't usually transfer from an FBS job, like school. It just doesn't happen. So I'll, I'm mostly from the temple perspective. I'm interested with how bad it does it get right now. And that's like, it's a very morbid curiosity, you know, and it's morbid to say like, can this coaching staff in, in particular, Rod Carey, hold on for next season be there next year or should they even you know because it's been a disaster you know conference play is a mess it's just been a mess it's a mess it's just this game the only like thing i like about it is the fact that like you said it it would be good for navy otherwise i i probably will not be turning this it's too hard to watch what's going on at temple i know and and i I know you have a couple friends on the coaching staff and i don't even want to ask them about like i I, i'm at the point where i thought about reaching out and being like hey how are things going i hope everything's okay like i'm you know but what do you say to that you know i just that's the thing is it's so bad right now we're like you just don't want to get someone just upset at you and they weren't allowed to talk you know when i reached out to them at the beginning of the season this is how bad it was to start i texted both of the coordinators and i know them and i was like hey just you know need a couple quotes for my first story and Mm -hmm. one of them hit me back and it was really good about the other one i didn't even hear from and so Mm -hmm. i they know each other so i asked him and i said you know what's up with with coach not hitting me back and he was like listen we were we've been told because i guess an assistant like went and did an interview that wasn't like uh, made okay through coach or the staff and they got, and the coach got upset about it, Rod Carey. So I guess even this was like week two, week one or week two, they were on edge about responding to like people in the media because they didn't want to get in trouble. And so I'm wondering, I'm looking back on that now and I'm like, wait a minute that maybe that was weirder than I thought it was because he was trying to control that narrative early on. That Yeah. I'm thinking that there's interesting. I, I've talked about a lot in the past. Temple does not have a lot of free cash lying around. They just don't as a program. Yeah. Uh, Rod <laughs> Carey's fair. buyout is pretty big. It's, I believe, still at $8 million, which mm-hmm. is pretty huge for an 
AAC buyout, frankly. It is giant, uh, yeah. And the, the thought process initially was, hey, we've been losing coaches so fast at Temple. We just want to keep one and have some stability. And I think that if he stays next year, it's only because they made his buyout too high where they can't afford it yet. Right. Because I, you know, like I said, it's morbid right now for Temple football. It is. And I don't. I don't, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Navy. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Navy I, too. Yeah, I don't want to be too negative about Temple right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll just but, moving on. Yeah, uh, the next two games I think are very interesting because they both involve a team that's trying to become bowl eligible. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? A couple okay. five and six teams in our next two games. The first is Tulsa at SMU. Uh, Tulsa's coming off a big win over Temple. They're five and six. SMU's coming off a disastrous loss to Cincinnati. They're no longer eligible for the conference championship game. They will be going to a bowl game, but nothing really to play for, practically speaking. Yeah. Other than, you know, the standard things players play for, like pride, momentum, love of the game, love of competition, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) We all know those things. Yes, I get it. Whatever. You know, nothing to play for, practically speaking, though, like in terms of tangible thing. I think that they should make a 30 for 30 on the rise and fall of SMU this season. And it culminates in Sonny Dykes allegedly leaving for TCU, which... Everybody's talking about, but I've well, seen no confirmed reports yet. So when Dave Aranda leaves for uh, USC, Baylor's going to be open too. So he's probably waiting for that. <laughs> it's just wild. Like if we, I want to go back and listen to our other week podcast where we're like, yeah, rah rah SNU, Tanner Mordecai. Sunny I still Dykes. feel rah rah about their offense. It's just last week. In- but this is Sonny Dykes' problem: is he never has a defense. He didn't have one at Cal. He doesn't have yeah. one here. Like, why would you yeah. hire him? Why would you continue to hire him as a coach when he well, cannot build out a defense? To play devil's advocate, at least from what he's done at SMU, SMU after the death penalty was a disaster for decades. They could not get it right. And really, Sonny Dykes is the first coach to get things fixed in any tangible way. To a degree, yes. Okay. And, and no, he has not gone over the hump in one big game. So he's not really fixed the defense. Uh, and then he, you know, he's had a Sonny Dykes style team. I guess yeah. the way I put it. But they're respectable, and you can kind of count on them to be around 10 wins every year with him as the head coach at this point. So, like, that's huge. That's something that they haven't had in 30 years. I don't think it should be discredited how hard it's been to get right. SMU back okay. to this point. It's just I'm not trying to discredit him. I just don't think that he, like, all of these people are, like, trying to hire him like he's the second coming. It's not. He's absolutely been a big game loser is the issue. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I put out a tweet. The biggest the, game loser, new series. No, I put out a tweet before the uh, SMU uh, Cincinnati game where it was like, I basically went through Sunny Dyke's time at SMU and said, all right, in big games, that's games that are bowl games against TCU, who's their main rival, mm-hmm. ranked competition or games that, I, you know, were key games in terms of the conference championship race towards the end of the year. What What's SMU's record been? And before the Cincinnati game, it was 4-11. and and 0 and 2 against Cincinnati for that matter. After it's 4 and 12 and 0 and 3 against Cincinnati. And that is something you have to say, like, okay, he got us to this kind of stable point. Is there another coach who can get us to jump past that and, like, like you said, stabilize the defense so that we can win big games, say? Right. And it's a very tricky situation to be in because you go, well, yeah, there might be a coach who can take the next step, but we also might be a program that's not capable of taking the next step. You know, but some programs do have a ceiling on them. You know, like at Michigan right now, for instance, Jim Harbaugh's got in Michigan to a very consistent 10-win point. You know what I mean? 
They mm-hmm. hit 10 wins pretty much every year. Can they beat Ohio State? No. Can they win the Big Ten? No, it hasn't happened under Ugh, him. But They're going to beat okay. Ohio State this year. That's a whole other tangent that I'll tell you when you're wrong about after they play on Saturday. Okay. But, like, my point is, like, but if you fire Jim Harbaugh, say they – I'm going to give you a hypothetical. Say they lose to Ohio State, they go 10-2 and two again, and, mm-hmm. you know, they go and play in the Peach Bowl. You know, something like that, the way that it's been for them or the way it's felt for them for a little while now. Well, if you go and fire him because he can't beat Ohio State and you bring in a coach who starts going like Rich Rod did or Brady Hoke did like seven and five, eight and four, you're not better off for that. You're just different now. In fact, you're a little bit worse. At ECU, they were sick of Ruffin McNeil only being, you know, a pretty good coach and they were trying to get to great. Well, guess what? You got Scotty Montgomery and how'd that work out? You know, yeah. it's been a dumpster fire up until this season. It took, you know, Mike Houston years to turn it around once he got in. And he's a great coach. So the SMU losing Sonny Dykes thing, he might go somewhere else. He's got a big extension he could sign with SMU if he wanted to. I think he's going to stay. Um, I, think, I think ultimately he stays. I don't think he leaves the state of Texas. I just think that he's, you know, I think he's in a good spot for him. I think SMU should be happy for the most part, but I think they should be cognizant of his faults because he's not a faultless coach. That's all. That's fair. Anyways, with all that being said, I do think Tulsa wins this game. What? Yeah, I'm picking Tulsa. Holy moly, you're pulling to me. Yeah, I am. I'm picking Tulsa because, like I said, I think trying to get the ball eligibility is huge. I think that Tulsa's got a lot of confidence right now. And I think that SMU occasionally lays an egg in the situation like last year against DCU. Am I rubbing off on you? Is this my influence here? I hope so. I really do, you know. All right, well, I'm picking SMU. Oh, yeah. Make it easy for you. Well, they're at home and they've just, it's been dismal. So I I don't think they're going to continue the slide, but they've really only been dismal against good, good teams. I don't think Tulsa is that good of a team. So I think that they should be able to take care of business. I've got huge concerns about Tulsa as a team, but I also like. (laughs) Right. They've not treated you well. So I'm very surprised by this, but typical male just going back when they hurt you. I'm going to beat my head against a wall for this. Yeah. (laughs) All Uh, right. Last one. All right. Corey's team. Tulane at Memphis. This is going to be a fun one. If we see the Tulane team that showed up last weekend, the team that we all knew they could be for a lot of time now, the team that I always knew they could be. If that team goes to Memphis, this is going to be one heck of I'm like triple overtime game. Maybe. You know, it's, I think it's interesting the way that he described going to Memphis as just being cold, like the Liberty bowl is a cold feeling in it. I think that's a very strange description. (laughs) Like, but yeah. I think it's also like it's just to me that's an atmosphere that you go. Well, I think he was different. he was talking he was talking about temperature. He, well, like, he was, no, but like I think it's actually cold, like in terms of like aesthetic. Like, like it's very gray <laughs> at times. Like you go in there, it's like kind of like you know what I mean. Well, he did say for those of you guys that maybe didn't hear the earlier that it's the hardest place of all of them that he's played. Yeah. And you tried to push him towards Nipper or God forbid the bounce house. Absolutely. The bounce house is tough. You tried to push it. If and you look like, at the records, no. you know, the home records for those teams. He was well, like, like if, no, if it's, it's Liberty Bowl. It's the only thing the Nipper would make sense though. You know what I mean? Or like he said no. Gold. So I know, yeah. That's how much power the Liberty Bowl has. So like, yeah, don't get me wrong. Memphis is a completely different team at home versus on the road. 
But listen, Tulane has nothing to play for, and Memphis has everything to play for. Absolutely. Bowl eligibility, same thing as the game before this. Possibly Silverfield, like, you know, getting out of a little bit of the conversation, whereas, like, Tulane... Silverfield is deep in that conversation when her loses. <laughs> well, it, it would expect, help if he wins. No, but the thing is, like, because of the season Tulane's had with only having two wins coming into this game, the conversation, if you win it, Memphis doesn't go away. That six and six is a really disappointing year when you expect to compete for conference championships. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. that's still disappointing whether or not you beat this team and go to a bowl game. Now, if you lose and go five and seven and that last lot, you've got a loss to an awful Temple team and a Tulane team that at least record-wise is not what you want to be losing to, well, then you've Mm -hmm. got some big, big issues and questions that are just going to get louder and louder. And I don't think it would be the end of Silverfield just yet, but I think it would put him on a very hot seat going into next season. You know? Yeah. And so we'll see. You definitely, I think it's a must win for Memphis. Like, absolutely must. Cannot afford to lose this game. Not just because of bowl eligibility, but I think just because of, like, your reputation as a as a football team, your reputation as a head coach, I think are all like going to be highly questioned if you miss a bowl this year and lose this game. So you think he's going to pull a Harbaugh and beat Tulane or die trying? I don't know if I'd call it pull Harbaugh. That's it's my joke. Cause that's what he said about beating Ohio state this year, but okay. Which yeah. I feel like I've said in every single episode. <laughs> okay. But uh, oh my god! I don't They're know. gonna be Ohio State. Okay, just stop. They are. I mean, I'm telling you. Have you been watching CJ Stroud? I saw him play live against Oregon. It was terrible. Have you heard of this guy, Chris Olave? I'm saying that I saw how bad <laughs> Ohio State can play. Okay, so I know that they're capable okay. of not playing well. Or maybe and, that was just how good Oregon's capable of playing when they don't have well, to fight against someone I, like Stanford. <laughs> I think that we've seen now in multiple weeks that that's not true. <laughs> I was on the Oregon train until this last weekend where they did not score a point for three quarters of football almost. So I watched like the first quarter of that game. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to put something else on. And I like, I flipped back to it in the fourth quarter. And it was like 35, seven. I was like, wait, what yeah. happened? What did they I scored seven points in. And, and, and I, I was on their side. I was backing them up to Mississippi river and back saying that, but that game, I saw Utah play against Stanford. They're good. They're not Utah's that good. Utah, okay? Utah's good. They are good, but they are not well, hold Oregon to seven points good. That is. Well, that's why they've got three losses. Exactly. Yeah. Doing so like, Oregon. I got off the Oregon train after that game, and now I'm thinking, okay, so how does this Ohio State team that we're seeing now factor into that game? So well, all I'm saying is that. Ohio State's capable of playing poorly, just like these other teams. They're not indestructible. And that has nothing to do with Tulane at Memphis, other than Tulane. Our tangent. Has, <laughs> Tulane has literally nothing to lose. And, I, and it's the last game for guys like Corey Devlin, uh, Will Wallace. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if Tyreek James is a senior, but we'll have to see. There's, I was going to say, I don't know. Their kicker, I think, is I'm, a senior, Merrick Glover. Yeah, he's um, been around, it feels like he's been around for a decade. Yeah, it feels like he's his, – his brother, by the way, um, Casey Glover, just was awarded scholarship today. So congratulations, Casey, for that. Yeah, team. shout out. Yeah, shout out. He's been doing the kickoffs for them. Uh, anyways, yes. so you're picking Tulane, aren't you? I, I think I got to end this season. I got to go out this season the way I started Here. it. I'll join you with Tulane because Corey okay. came on the show. Because even though they burned you, you're going to do they've it. They've burned me a number of times. They have. <laughs> uh, but Memphis has burned me too. Yeah. 
you know, and my fair and worse. Like, again, <laughs> the Liberty Bowl is really hard to play at, uh, but I do think that Tulane is going to come out, you know, and have a little bit of an attitude about it. You know, yeah, I think they were invigorated in that game. They saw that because they know that Tulane. We all know yeah. Tulane is better than their record is the thing. And I think Tulane players especially know how much better they are than their record. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Uh, at the end of the year, when you comes down to it, you know, the season got away from them and, you know, mm-hmm. here they are. But, yeah, so we were both on Tulane. I like yeah. it. I do. You're going to the Notre Dame-Stanford game this weekend with your family as a fan, not as a well, reporter, right? Uh, that was the plan until I found out that my parents uh, do not want to go because they don't want to watch Stanford get murdered and they don't want to go like most Stanford alumni and people will find this interesting. They do not want to go to a 5 p.m. kick. They were hoping for the one or the noon. Isn't Didn't it get 5 it. 5 p.m. Pacific time? Yeah. They said okay. no. It's too late. That's, That's too late? <laughs> it's too late. So, so like, my- if it's like a noon kick... Yep, yeah. my parents are not going. My uncle is not going. My godfather's not going. Like no one's so, going. So what they really want is they really want to get the noon Eastern kicks where they can be there at nine a.m. and just go to the game and be done with it by noon. No, they want no five p.m. Pacific kick. No, no, that's I, no. I know, I know. Oh, like, oh you're saying going they want the nine a.m. I mean, Pacific kick. Where I guess like I don't. noon on the East Coast. I know they they really like the noon kick because they live an hour. Like a lot of Stanford alumni don't necessarily live in yeah. um, Palo Alto anymore. So you give like an hour radius around Palo Alto. That's where you get a lot of your alumni and old fans. And so noon is perfect. You get there at eleven. You you know go say hi to people. Go to your white glove tailgate you there's you know with your chandeliers hanging White. from the tree oh come on this is an old <laughs> stanford is ole miss without the fun no, i was just like, teasing anyways yeah it's I, true I, I mean like our tailgates have always been like catered with like sushi and white wine and it's crazy Ridiculous. but they, they don't even do that in, now they don't even need to tailgate because that's just like it's just not worth it for them and then they leave at halftime so. Yeah, so it's not a fun atmosphere. I want to go and just kind of have a, a, a game day experience that doesn't involve having to work. shepherd Joey Chestnut or cover a game. And you just so want to go and sister, enjoy a game. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. Liz and I, my sister is her name's Elizabeth. She and I might go and just you know blow yeah. it out. We'll see. Absolutely. I'm uh, gonna sit behind the Stanford bench and heckle David Shaw <laughs> the whole game. I'm actually gonna get one of these T-shirts that are being made that says "Shaw me the money." So look look for that coming to Twitter near you. Oh um, man, yeah. Notre Dame's going by fifty. Yeah, yeah, they might. Or they won by fifty or, last week. Or it ends up being you know a last second field goal because that's the kind of game this rivalry quote unquote is. Gee, so do I don't you think it's a rivalry. Yeah, I think historically the teams have played each I mean, other throughout yeah, they play my each whole other every year. Yeah, yeah. so I've, but like. And it gets tenuous. Like, for example, the Stefan Taylor whistle at the goal line in South Bend. I mean, there's... Was that 2012? I think. I 2012 was... The, that was an overtime game in 2012. That was Notre Dame's unbeaten year that they went to the BCS championship in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, the Stanford game that year was crazy. I remember that. Yeah, I don't it's know always crazy. Stephon Taylor, though. Uh, it's anyway. always crazy. So that's why I'm saying is, like, could it go that way? And randomly we see... That happened because Notre Dame does have to travel across the country. But they're to, used to, to travel like that. Notre Dame's thing forever has been we go all across the country to play. Yeah. They're a national brand. They, you know, they play either Stanford or USC every year in California. And it's by design to recruit California. You know, yeah. 
And we'll see. Also I don't because know. Stanford and USC refuse to play at Notre Dame in November because it's too cold for them. Stanford has no business keeping themselves in this game, but have I seen Shaw win games he had no business winning? Yes, I have. I, so. I hope he's wearing a gold chain and just going to swag you up all the whole time. He, he, w- he would literally never. He would have me kicked out of the stadium before he did that. He, he turns around and gives you a horns down for some reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I don't actually know what, like, there's not really a good hand signal to give a Stanford fan. There isn't like Especially we don't the- even. It's ridiculous if you think about it that the the Cal Stanford game like is an axe, okay, and then Stanford posts all these pictures on their social of players holding axes. When you're a tree, axes are used to cut down trees. Like, why are we doing this? It doesn't make any sense, and it makes people more confused about what the actual mascot is and what this the deal is. And I have to explain it to What's people. The color cardinal, yeah. It's like cannibalism. It's like why? Are, why? Why? It is the color cardinal, but the student mascot is a tree, which was voted back when my dad was a student there. Um, and none of the other, you know, ideas were taken at the time because they were too radical. And they had to get, my dad still has Stanford Indians gear. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, that is where I will be. So we'll be, be on my couch eating leftover Thanksgiving, mm. you know, food. Maybe that's, I'm not a huge turkey guy, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, I'm more of a sides kind of guy and so i'll be doing oh, that. what's your what's your favorite side I'm a, the question everyone's asking i like stuffing a lot okay like a i usually go with a bread stuffing but it's like to me that's like really special to thanksgiving because it's the only time anyone eats stuffing mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like christmas sometimes I make, oh, I make mashed potatoes you know i can have that once a week like very easy <laughs> doing so true. like it's not super special I, you know like mm-hmm. Other things, you know, cranberry sauce. I like it, mm-hmm. but like, nah, stuffing. Okay. Well, yeah. that's a question that's being asked of like all of these, all of the NFL players and coaches. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I people saw are, it. Yeah. It was like people Matthew are getting Judon canceled talk. for their answers. Matthew Judon was talking about how he doesn't, he hates mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. How could you hate mac and cheese? That is just, ridiculous. I think his argument was those slimy noodles. No, sir. I don't know what kind of mac and cheese you have been fed, but... We'll False. go to Boston Market and try their mac and cheese. It's all slimy. Yo, I had a conversation with my boyfriend about sweet potatoes because I hate hate sweet potatoes. I I'm not them. a huge fan myself. I think, and they're... he makes really good sweet potato casserole, and he made it for his family Thanksgiving this past weekend. They did it early, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, everybody ate the whole tin," and I was just like, no. "I know." Like my thing with sweet potatoes is like, if it's just sweet potatoes, I'm very like, "This is kind of meh." And then the mm. other way to do it is people coated in marshmallows. I'm like, at this point, yeah, see, no. dessert, mm. you know? He didn't do it in marshmallow. He actually did, this is kind of interesting, like a um, streusel on top, mm. kind of. So yeah. he doesn't like know. the marshmallow, which he's very adamant about. I don't understand it, but I just say no. Just skip yeah. it. My thing, I can't do uh, green bean casserole. It's, you, my le- it's one of my least favorite things in this world. Do you not like green beans or you just don't like I love green thing? beans, like fresh okay. green beans I like. I like you just don't like the whole the whole. No, deal. I'm an adult. I can eat vegetables. I don't like green bean casserole. Okay, <laughs> interesting. So, see, we just do green beans in like a little bit of a maybe a sauce or like a, something. No. But no, we I don't. I've never done a green bean casserole, so I don't no, even know what that no, is. My mom go ugh. the way my mom does it. It's also like it's like cream of mushroom soup with like green beans in it, and then you add like a oh. kind of crispy topping to it, like a, a crunchy and you onion bake thing. It? Yeah, and you oh. bake it. It's not for me. I just like green beans. Like, just give me turkey, gravy, stuffing, green beans, 
and some cranberry relish sauce, yeah. whatever. And uh, then yeah, we're good. I, I'm a very basic Thanksgiving person. Yeah. You know, like, There's no need to get fancy. It's fine. You know, it's more about the pies and whatnot, but yeah. Well, I hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner and Absolutely. I will enjoy I think mine. I'm going to be drinking whiskey during the war on I-4. So like check out for my Twitter, which is. Yeah. Or the text, the text. <laughs> Wait, say it again. Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter during the war on I-4. I'll be drinking whiskey and we'll see what happens online. Great. You can follow <laughs> me on Twitter at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M on Twitter and Instagram. And I'll be drinking champagne. So I might be right there with you. We'll see. Classy. Yeah. All right, and we're off.